Welcome back to Tangential Banter. My name is Ben Mowell. I'm here with my co-host, Jack Korzanowski. Thanks for joining us again on yet another episode. If you're still listening, you must, to some extent, enjoy what you hear. Or you accidentally click the play button. Yeah, or you were scrolling through and you're like, oh, not that episode. Crap. But here we are. So uh, we've we spent the last couple episodes uh, kind of debriefing our, the bike trips that Jack and I had each taken uh, independently. And now we're going to turn back to our uh, original programming, so to speak, yes. to talk about random topics. So the topic for today that we've kind of been kicking around is the thought or notion that can be prevalent in some circles that human beings are inherently good or decent. Um, the, the phrase good person or good people gets bandied about quite a bit. Mm. Um and so we're going to talk about what, what that means and whether or not that's true. And we were just having a conversation about the fact that um, people frequently torpedo, is the phrase I use, or yeah. shoot down other people's dreams or aspirations. And so uh, maybe we can jump into that as a introduction to the topic. Yeah. Or at least a, a tangent mm-hmm. about the topic. So the example I was giving was a friend who told me that I could not complete my cross-country bike trip, which I I don't remember if I used that as motivation or not, but ultimately I was able to complete my trip and call him out on his mm-hmm. uh, disbelief, I guess, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it seems like it happens a lot. People have wafty goals or something, and there's, a, there's an element of our nature that wants to drag everyone down to our level. Like it makes us feel insignificant or yeah. like, um, like why is it that people do torpedo stuff? Right. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. So, I mean, well, what do you, do you have thoughts on that specifically? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I do. I can, I'll tell you that much. That, go, go for it. All right. So, like if, let's suppose we have a scenario where person A says to person B, hey, I want to do X. And person B, like what happened with your buddy where you said you can't do that. Like you're, you're not going to be able to do that. So, so why do why is it the first thing that people jump to as opposed to just saying, oh, why? like even asking. I'm not saying that where that they don't ultimately think about that. But why is that a lot of the times what they one, what they think, or they make that point very clear, much more clear than anything else to the point where they're like trying to break down why this, like explain to them with as many points as they can, why person A can't do X. Rather, so I think a lot of people, what they end up doing is saying, you won't be able to do X because X, Y, and Z. Rather than saying the challenges that you will face in trying to do this are X, Y, and Z. Sure. So they're not, it's like, I think a lot of the times people are trying to be helpful, like, whoa, you don't want to, don't waste your time. Don't waste your effort. Don't invest anything because of X, Y, and Z trying to make that. I think they, they're trying to save the person. I think what they would, they believe they're doing is trying to save some, the person, the trouble of, of trying to attempt this thing. Sure. Right. So your, your bro was probably thinking, Oh, you know, Ben's going to like actually leave home. He's going to fly down to San Diego or San Fran. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. And actually set out on the roads on a bike and only learn that he can't do this when he's in the middle of nowhere in the desert with no way to get to a safe town. 
I better stop him. And then he comes out with it saying, you can't do that or whatever he explicitly said. And if that's what he thought, if it was him true, so I'm giving everybody the torpedo or the benefit of, of the doubt where they're just trying to save the sure. per- person A, the trouble. But what it comes out as is like an insult to person A that, because what I think right. that they want that to convey, disbelief. what I think that they should, I think if they truly are only doing it out of concern, what they ought to say is you can't do it. And they ought not even to say you shouldn't do it. All that they should say is, if you want to do it, here are the challenges that I foresee. Have you thought about these? And if you have, how would you overcome them? Or not even in that sense. I think you could phrase it in a way that, hey, I'm your friend. I care about you. And this, what you're planning to do concerns me. Yeah. Right? So like you can put it in such terms that it's from your frame of reference. And it's not about them at all. It's mm-hmm. about your issues. And so you can say, hey... Like, I just want to make sure that you're going to be okay. Have you thought about these things and yeah. how those are, like, those are my concerns. Yep. So, again, I, I think it's helpful in that you're not you're not saying you're incapable or you shouldn't. You're saying these are the things that I'm dealing with as I hear what you're saying about what you want to do. Um, it does, I guess, also put some burden of your issues on them, but I think it's a more fair way to phrase it. No, I agree. But, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But that's not what people do. They, they no, right? Sure. They come out and just say, um, "You're not going to be able to do this. You suck." Yeah, you suck is basically what, what I hear. Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts. the The first one is, ultimately, I for the larger question of you know, are people generally good or that? I would say no. So underlying my fundamental philosophy is that no, people are not good and so giving them the benefit of the doubt is generous but i don't think necessarily always accurate Mm -hmm. the other thing i would say is that there's a couple things going on so one of them is i think a principle that we've observed in a lot of places that that is pretty well researched and commented on is that people are much more um they understand much more easily what they stand to lose than what they stand to gain. So we see risks much more clearly than we do rewards. Um, So in a situation like that, where you're talking about a cross country bike trip, you know, they see run over by a car or abducted or, you know, stranded in the middle of nowhere. They are not seeing the opportunities to meet, you know, really cool people. They're not seeing the opportunities to explore part of the country. They're not seeing, you know, time spent in solitude and uh, meditation and prayer. They're not seeing, you know, an opportunity to challenge yourself and really feel like you've proven your ability to do something Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, just see beautiful nature all around you. Like all those sorts of things there, maybe it's in their mind somewhere, but it's, it's, um, psychologically difficult to give those equal weight to the risks that we perceive. They're right? not There's that self-defense mechanism. They're not we, what's popping out in their head. Right. So I think that's, I think that could, that's a part of what's at play when people come at you that way is that it's not, the rewards aren't as real to them as they are to you. The risks are yeah. very obvious and apparent. And so they, they see those and they, they throw those out there. But um, if that's, I got to interrupt if that's true. And maybe you're going to get touch on this. So forgive me if I was interrupting a lucid thought, but 
if that were true, then why don't they just say, well, you're going to run into these problems. Are you sure you want to do this? Or, hey, man, that's going to be dangerous. Are you sure you want to do this? Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? Why or do they just come out and say, not that you shouldn't do it, that you can't do it? Sure. So I think that maybe gets into the second piece is that I really do think we have a a competitive nature to us in that when we see someone achieve something great, you, you, there's almost instantaneously an admiration and respect like, wow, that's really impressive. I couldn't do that or I wish I could do that or whatever. But then in some, there's like a jealousy and a bitterness that can come along with that. Yes, I agree where wholeheartedly you're like, well, I don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. And then you get irked yeah. that there's someone else who's like that much better than you. Yep. Um, and so there's, I think there's a part of us that we honestly try to drag people down to our level. Like, yeah, not like in a means it's, I mean, it's kind of mean spirited, but it's not like a vicious way, but we will like, likes telling somebody, Hey, I don't, I don't know if you can do that. Or like, you know, yeah. just kind of trying to put some impediments out there as a way to be like, you know, you're making me uncomfortable because you're thinking about like, for me, there have been things where people want to do something that's a dream I gave up on right. a long time ago. Yes. And then it's like, there's a selfish, nasty part. Or if I can't that, do it. Right. Yeah. It's like, then if I can't have it, then you, then you shouldn't. Yeah. And I, so you try to like beat it out of them with yeah. words. They're like, well, you shouldn't do that. Because if you like, see whatever. them achieve it, then what does that say about you? Nothing good. Right. I, I mean, yeah. the, flip, the flip side is also there that you could say... I gave up on the dream or I believe that I gave up on this dream for completely valid reasons. Yep. And here are the reasons why. And you should consider those before you really pursue this dream. Right. Uh huh. But to say that that's fully altruistic, I think is, is farcical. Like there's an element of it that's maybe out of care for them, but there's clearly an element that's just out of my own. Like, well, I gave up on it and I can say that there are reasons, but a lot of times the reasons that I give are just like, justifications for laziness yep. in a sense, right? Like I didn't want to commit the time, effort, energy. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, well, okay, here's reasons why I didn't. I, I really think so. Like when I would, you know, you, you, you hear this theory a lot, like, you know, um, like when, when you see it stereotypically like in TV shows or what, maybe what your own parents told you, like when you're getting bullied from school or somebody says something mean, they, your parents or somebody else says, oh, they're just jealous. And say, I've never understood that because I think that I, as well as maybe many other people, think that, for example, if your buddy said, you can't do that, you can't bike across the country, then this, this uh, ideological parent would come and say, oh, don't worry, Ben, he's just jealous. And then the guy could say, I'm not, I don't want to bike across the country. I'm not jealous of that. And for a long time, I thought that that was the end of the he's jealous argument <laughs> where it's like, oh, he says, well, he said he's not. Well, no, not, th not that, that he said he's not. I mean, like I, in this case, I'm saying it as if this guy legitimately does not want to bike across the country or like, okay. there's a lot of things where somebody will torpedo your idea and somebody may come in and say, oh, he's just jealous. And it's like, I've never understood that argument because no, I don't think that this person wants to do what I was suggesting I tried doing. I don't think he wants that for himself. Oh, sure. So why would he bother bashing me out of jealousy? It doesn't make sense. That's a, yeah. that's a stupid argument and you're wrong. Go, go in a dark corner or something. And for a long, for a long time, I thought it was that simplistic or maybe that uh, one dimensional or I don't know what to call it. But what I think you said touches on the real issue that it is indeed jealousy, not for the specific thing 
that you're saying, but that, hey, this person's trying to set out to do something great. Not specific. I don't care that he's specifically trying to go across the country. Sure. Yeah. He's trying to do something that like very few people do that requires a lot of discipline, that requires a lot of uh, effort, both physically and mentally, that a lot of people will not be able to do. And that if he's successful, will draw him a lot of attention and a lot of praise from people. I don't want him to do that because it makes me seem less important. I think that is yeah. at the core why people torpedo ideas. If it were, if they didn't care about that, if it really were just concern over, wow, this guy's going to run into a lot of obstacles when he's on the road, they would say you shouldn't. That worst, I think that if that's all it was, just con literally concern for you, or like, hey, this guy's going to come across roadblocks that's going to stop him, and he's going to be dead in the water. It should. It would be a much more, I think, alarmist attitude where they're, hey, well, no, don't do that because of X, Y, and Z, rather than, no, you're not going to be able to do that. Where There, there is that tone. There's that venom in there sure. of, of malice. As a, and and it's, it's the malice. Because if somebody just, if you came up to me and said, I'm going to buy cross country, and if the thought came up in my head, that's not going to happen. Sure. Be, and if it came up because of, he's going to run into a lot of roadblocks. I would not say you can't do that or you know you're never going to be able to do that in a with that that map that sense of malice right that if it were sure. just like there's going to be a lot of roadblocks that that malice that seed of anger would not be there yeah. that seed of like sneering and telling him that he's going to fail would so, not have grown there's something else there this reminds me of and I I can't believe I didn't think of this sooner but uh, a study done on the reinforcement of social norms using uh, chimpanzees, I think. Okay. Um, and so what they did was they had uh, <clears throat> some sort of enclosure where the, these chimpanzees were kept. And in the enclosure, there was a ladder, mm -hmm. okay, which is great because it's, it's something physical, but it's also a metaphor in a sense, right? Right. So they had a ladder, and it, above, suspended above the ladder, there was like a bunch of bananas that a chimp could reach if it climbed the ladder. Okay. And so for some period of time, they allowed the chimpanzees to kind of use the ladder, go get bananas. And so there was this kind of risk reward thing established where, you know, the chimps could go get the bananas. Well, then what they started doing Wait, was, was the risk that they just had to put the work in to get it. Well, you could fall off the ladder and get injured, right? How, how high was the ladder? I, I don't know. Oh, anyway. But yeah. anyway, so then what they started doing was, um, oh, that's a good metaphor for this topic in general, just what you just said. You can get the reward or you could fall off and hurt yourself. And I think a lot of people hide behind the, oh, I'm concerned that you might hurt yourself. Not the, that they're really jealous they that you, you got to the top of the ladder. Yeah. yeah. And that's why they're really, yeah. well, anyway, I'll touch back so, on that. Yeah. Please continue. Okay. So then what they started doing was um, every time a monkey or a chimpanzee would start climbing the ladder, they would sp like spray them with water. As a deterrent, apparently that annoys them or spray the, the chimp on the ladder. I think all the chimps, I don't remember for sure, but they would spray them with cold water. Okay. okay. So then what started happening over time was, um, at, as a chimp like made any effort at all or any movement toward climbing the ladder, the other chimps would drag them back down and be like, no, you're not getting a sprayed with water. Or you're not getting sprayed with water, right? Whichever way it worked. Yeah. And then what was really very um, thought provoking for me was that they 
psych they stopped spraying the water uh-huh. but they'd already established this pattern of behavior where if you start to climb up the ladder you get pulled back down right yeah. and they started bringing in they rotated out chimps who had been in the enclosure oh, yeah. and rotated in new chimps so all they <clears throat> all the new chimps observed was that if a chimp makes a, cl- a move toward the ladder you drag him back down mm. right not knowing the context of the water, anything. Not knowing in why a, they're doing. Yes. It, yeah. So eventually, they had this enclosure that was um, habitated by a group of chimps who had never seen a chimp get sprayed when they went for the bananas at the top of the ladder. Mm. And yet, still, every single time a chimp tried to climb the ladder to get the bananas, the other ones would pull them back down. Mm. Which I don't know. It was just kind of mind blowing. To think about that in in two ways. Number one, how rigid our social norms can be. Uh-huh. And that even when you're trying to achieve something that's desirable, people don't want you to achieve that because they're it's seen as dangerous to the group in some way. Right. Yeah. I was trying to th- I was gonna make the comment and say, well, that's not really analogous to our situation because like if somebody were to achieve their dream, you and I Everybody else doesn't get sprayed with cold water or, you know, we don't get hurt or annoyed or it doesn't affect us negatively in any way. But then I was thinking, well, if it does hurt our pride that if this person can achieve something great, why not me? If that is what the spraying of the water is analogous to, then just the fear of that, of that sensation, of that realization, of that epitome of yourself, when somebody does achieve something great, that's good enough, I think, to make you want to drag them off the ladder, even though that, you know, they're, they just want those bananas. And again, you know, I think to go back to the point I wanted to not forget where there's the ladder and there's the chimp climbing it and the reward is the banana, right? The risk is that they fall off and hurt themselves. People will, you know, that I can see that people acting like the chimps would say, Oh no, we don't want you. The ones that, you know, never actually got sprayed which I guess kind of breaks the analogy I'm going to say because those people would feel the the spray of the of their shock to their pride or something, but sure. uh, they would drag them off the ladder specifically to say, or like I shouldn't say specifically say, but they're hiding behind the oh we don't want you to get hurt falling off the ladder. They're not going to come out and say oh we don't want you to climb the ladder because then you'll have bananas and we won't. And it's like well why don't we get bananas and why sure then I make the climb and. Um, the, why did I fail and stuff like that part that I thought was also interesting is that by that, by the time they had a full second generation of chimpanzees that had never seen anybody get sprayed or anything, yeah, <clears throat> the behavior was reinforced, but the source, the cause of that behavior had been obscured by time. Right. Okay. So the, the stimulus that caused the chimpanzees to start dragging other chimps off the ladder mm-hmm. no longer existed. But the behavior was still enforced for an unknown reason. They didn't know why. And in and in reality, they could have resumed climbing the ladder and taking bananas. Yeah. But they didn't. I mean, I think in this because example. Because their society had basically said no. I think this is that. I think it's just more in this example, and I think it's this that makes the analogy not not hundred percent applicable, is that the chimps, the new chimps just saw that all the other chimps were dragging this other chimp off the ladder for unknown reasons and they're just i I would guess now maybe the chimp doesn't think that it through this much but i would view that if a person were in this situation that they would join in for what i'm about to say which is the thought process of well i don't understand why this is going on 
but everybody else is doing it. And if everybody else is doing it, there must be a legitimate wide reaching reason why sure. that's going to yeah. like, if I don't do it, then I'm going to figure out why they don't, why they're not letting this guy drag him off the ladder. Right. But um, so I, I feel like part of that, that plays into it, right? Because there's this, there's a social pressure, like someone taking a really long bike trip. There aren't that many people who do it. That's not something worth, everybody's like, oh, I'm going to go take a bike trip to somewhere or the other. So yeah. that becomes the sore thumb, right? That's the the thing that stands out is like, oh, bike trip. And so we collectively as a society identify things that stick out with high risk endeavors, mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? You just want to go with the crowd. You want to blend in I, in see, general. I, I don't think that's I, the... I'm not saying people think consciously about that, but that's like the desire of security is to be unidentifiable from anybody else. You just, you disappear into the anonymity. 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 And so as soon as you do something noteworthy in any regard, you've immediately established that you're willing to go against the grain. You're willing to stand out. You're willing to be different from other people. You're willing to take risks. And so there's that kind of, it's like a whack-a-mole, you know, pops up and bam, knock them back down. But why, but like, why then do why are people so angry when they, like, why do they torpedo so vehemently? Vehemently? However that's pronounced. Vehemently? Um, Because if it's just like, it makes them weird or they stand out, like, why do they care? Is it just because they've been so subconsciously programmed to not allow that? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, I'm saying I think that's part of it. I think the, the selfishness or the shot to your pride or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I think that's, that's what maybe motivates the venom that you were talking about or the harshness of Mm -hmm. it. There, there may be parts of it that are also just the conditioning element. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird things that make you stand out that, that a lot of people do what you just kind of do. Sure. Um, I guess maybe the one I was going to think about is, uh, is like the, the whole furry community. Okay. Because that, that makes it stand out. I think we can agree on that. Sure. It's, you know, it's against the norm, all that stuff. But if somebody says, I'm going to go be a furry, you don't hear anybody say, you can't do that. You're going to fail. You know, they just say, all right, do what you want. Like they sure. leave it at that. But yeah. if you say, I'm going to bike across the country, they're going to say, you can't do it. You're going to fail. A lot of people aren't just going to say, oh, okay, do what you want. So where's the difference? And I'm not saying that everybody who I told well, said you're not going to. To give a trite, stupid answer, you could say that biking across the country is an achievement. <laughs> oh, oh, got him. <laughs> Zoing. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting, though. One of the, one of the things um, on the topic of achievement in general, I think it's fascinating how we are so easily enamored with people who achieve great things. Right. Right. So like I think about Alex Honnold from the free climber, he free soloed El Capitan and yet Yosemite. There's a movie that came out about him and there's just, as soon as it came out, there's this fascination with it. And it's a guy who literally lives in a van down by the river, down by the river. (laughs) And he just, he climbs rocks for a living without a rope for a living. He makes money. Yeah. He's sponsored. Oh, I mean, they made movies about him. Um, okay, to be fair, he climbs with a rope most of the time, but he also does these climbs without a rope and uh, really high risk behavior. But um, so there's there's people like Alex Honnold. There's um, I always look to like Tom Brady. He's somebody who and again, going back to Torpedo Dreams, you know, what I mean, he was fighting for a starter starting quarterback position at Michigan. Um, he 
went in the sixth round of the draft. So he he perceived that as, well, everybody else thinks I can't play in the NFL because they drafted me so late, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had all these things going against him. And then when his opportunity came, he was prepared and made the most of it. And he continues to try to do that by changing his diet, changing the way that he works out, all these sorts of things to try and achieve greatness. So I think there's a lot of people who look at that and they're like, wow, look at all that they've achieved. And what I really learned, this was in 2014 when um, actually the friend who told me that I couldn't complete my bike trip, he and I, my brother Matt and uh, my friend's friend, the four of us went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Oh. And it's five days up or you could do it in four. We did five days up and two days down. And what I really learned in that trip is that achievement looks like standing on top of a mountain. But the path to get there is this grueling climb up the mountain, right? And so we have this fascination and obsession with people who achieve great things. And then when you start to look a little bit deeper, it's like Alex Honnold. Awesome achievement. Like phenomenal. It's inspiring. There aren't enough superlatives to say like what he did. But then when you look at the lifestyle that he has to live Mm -hmm. to achieve that, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's... Essentially, like I said, living in a van by himself more often than not. He's, you know, in these remote areas and he spends the majority of his day every day climbing, planning climbing routes, researching climbing routes, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, like I said, Tom Brady, he's he's literally down to the meal, planning what he eats, planning his workouts, like studying film. It's all these things that are not glamorous in the least. Yeah. And in fact, they are, in many cases, boring and like mind-numbing. Uh-huh. And so to me, what really stands out about it, people who achieve great things, isn't the completion of the achievement. It's not the standing on the mountain part. It's the fact that they went through all the mind-numbing, back-breaking work yeah. to get there. And that's why most people don't or can't achieve great things is because they they either won't or can't put their mind to the grindstone yeah. for long enough to actually achieve it. And I think when people do set out and do it, they get that jealousy of not of the specific task that was achieved. You know, somebody may be may want to torpedo Tom Brady or this guy climbing the mountain, but themselves don't want to climb sure. the mountain or be, yeah, yeah. become an NFL quarterback, not because they're jealous of the specific thing that they achieved but because they proved that they could put up with all that gunk right they could put the effort in that they could actually achieve it and that's what people are jealous of that they because i think it it makes people feel smaller and weaker sure that it's like well you're less in control of your own life because you're like well why can't i do that i can't even less uh, either less in control or even if you're not in control, you were, you're just weaker for some reason. Sure. You're, you're less like weak willed. Yeah. As any, yeah. like basically you, like when you see somebody else achieve something great and they're able to do it and you realize that you can't, I think people think they're better than me. Sure. But I want to be better than everybody else. So I'm going to drag him down. Yeah. And I, I think that's ultimately the root of why people. So, uh, maliciously torpedo and and blast people down rather than try to build them up or at least if you're going to convey if you have legitimate concerns then uh 
I mean, convey them in a way that makes it very clear that it's the concerns and stuff. Because I think when people say, oh, you can't do it, you're going to run all this, all this crap and you're going to fail, it comes off so strongly as they're bashing you, not sure. what you're trying to achieve. Sure. I think, too, there, there's maybe to present us uh, the other side of the equation, and to be fair, is that there are times in life where we are attempting to convey care and concern for someone yeah. genuinely. Mm-hmm. And we just really suck at it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we hate phrasing things directly to the extent of saying, Hey, I care about you. Or I like, I'm worried in this fashion. And so we more easily communicate that as you can't or shouldn't by just making it this nebulous third party reason of why things can't happen mm. rather than owning up to and admitting the fact that it's really, well, we're concerned and worried for you and you know, we want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. So we can just put it out there in space and say, well, there's all these reasons you can't because we're too embarrassed or whatever to say that we have emotions about another person. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't think there's any, I think there's a lot of these factors that are playing into each other sure. there's a lot of these different reasons and it's difficult to say or at least it's a tall order to say it is one or it is the other and maybe for a given person it may really only be one of these or the or the other but i think if you ever you know if anybody ever proposes an idea and it gets bashed a lot i'm sure there is a very wide there's a mixture of all these reasons going on but i mean if there's somebody anonymous trying to bash your plan like look on facebook or like yeah. look in any comment yeah. stream this is a good example. Look on YouTube, look on Facebook, look at any comment stream where there's anonymous people chipping in and like 90% of the comments are going to be bashing. None of these people know, none of these commenters know who the poster is, but they bash him anyway. And those people are not concerned. Those people only are, I think, exhibiting the whole, hey, if this person achieves this, right? They're the I'm going to be pulling people off the ladder. I'm going, yeah, I am going to be seen as lesser because it's like, well, okay, Bob, you're, you're kind of cool, but this other person did this other cool thing. I'm going to go like talk about him and build him up and you can just go sit in the corner or something. You know, people don't want that. So they bash this other, they bash this other guy down so that they don't seem as low. And I, so I think it's, I think a lot of people may want to say Jack you're being pompous or something but I, I, I got to stand behind this I, I really think it's a matter of people want to see other people fail because it makes them feel better about themselves it's like Schadenfreude who's Schadenfreude Schadenfreude is the it's a German concept that is essentially delight in others failures yeah oh, like misery loves company is the phrase that we would use okay. so it's like if you hate your life or you haven't achieved some goal that you wanted to achieve or whatever, yeah, there is this feeling of, I mean, everybody wants to deny it, right? Everybody's like, oh, I don't feel that way. It's like, yeah. oh, really? Really, you don't? Yeah, yeah right. Um, but there's this feeling of, to some extent, we revel in that because then that means there's nobody that's better than us. Like, we feel acceptable yeah. the way that we are. Because, oh, they failed too, you know. Yeah. And so to the point where, in German anyway, there's actually a literal word for that. Schadenfreude, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. The other thing that occurred to me just now is, um, uh, so we were talking about, wow, total brain fart. Oh, nope, still not there. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
like I thought I was grabbing onto the idea, and then it just ran away from me again. Oh crap! All right, uh, we got to think here. Because if we rewind the conversation where you're talking, the bigger picture is, um, you know, are people good or are they kind? And then we were talking about people torpedoing ideas. Oh yeah, we never actually answered the the, the initial question and why we would propose our answer. Well, it, oh, okay. So it was this. You were talking about anonymous comment sections and how it's always negative. Yeah. So um, I wanted to hit on that topic specifically um, in part related to anonymity, but in part just related to um, interacting with people digitally or at a distance. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember which book this was in. I want to say it came from one of the two books that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um either Mindwise by Nicholas Epley or Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. But in one, it was in one of those two books. They're talking about the concept of, uh, I can't remember the term, but it's how people relate based on how close they are to each other hmm. and how similar they feel the other person is to them. Okay. So um, they give the, ex- they're talking about examples from the uh, animal rights campaigns. Mm-hmm. And so they talk about how there's more, outspoken, broad, um, really passionate support for animal rights campaigns for animals that are seen as similar to humans Mm. from a size perspective, from a, the fact whether they're mammals or not, um, how rapidly they move. Hmm. So for example, like animals that have similar, um, like, uh, like their uh, gait, like the number of steps they take, if that's similar to humans, we relate to them more. We care. About, I mean, they've studied it and done, I mean, basically empirically demonstrated that we care more about those animals than we do. So, for example, like a little, a lizard that's like really super skittish. And is like, like a gecko or something. Yeah, that's yeah. jumping from one way to another. Like, maybe we find them fascinating and we're curious about them. Yeah. But in terms of actual like emotional investment in them as animals, yeah. very super low. Hmm. Because they're much smaller than us. They look very different. They're, they're. Um, like essentially it's a metabolic rate almost. It's like animals with a similar metabolic rate, similar size are very like, those are the ones that we care about. So it's like the ones that are the the more distinctly human, like they are, the more we emotionally invested in. And and the ones that exhibit more human like characteristics. So intelligence, um, communication. So like whales or, Mm. or dolphins, for example, that are clearly intelligent, clearly can communicate back and forth. Like we care a lot about them. So on the flip side, you know, they're talking about if you, you could even take it all the way down into plants where, you know, we now they're being able to demonstrate that plants can communicate back and forth in really complex, sophisticated ways that we didn't know before. Hmm. Um, and they're technically living. Right. But they grow at a much slower rate, like trees grow at a much slower rate than us live longer. So anyway, all of that to say um, how we relate to people works in a very similar way. So we care the most about people who are most similar to us, hmm. the people that we perceive as most similar. So you can see this coming out in a lot of the things that we observe today in our society in this tribalism thing, right? So people form into groups because that's who they care about most, just inherently as part of our psychology. And so, you know, you see that come out through racism or sexism or whatever it might be because you see someone who's slightly different. And this I mean, this goes even into why people with disabilities, by and large, get ignored or looked down upon is because as much as no one wants to own up to the fact that they're perceived as different than you. And when you identify yourself as human, that means that I'm human. 
they're different than me, that means they're different than human to some extent. Mm. Like there's varying ranges of that, obviously. But so, you know, that goes into the whole like people who have um, mental disabilities or, you know, somebody who goes into a vegetative state. It's like as soon as you can start to say that doesn't meet whatever my standard of human is, that's how you start to relate to them much more negatively and care much less about their outcomes. Dang. So where this comes into play in this conversation is they were talking about that fundamental element as when you're disconnected from someone by distance. So like the digital world that we live in, you're talking a lot on YouTube, comments, Facebook, whatever it might be. You, even if it's someone you care about, so like you and I are having this conversation, we could get into a disagreement now about anything and it could go somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. But basically they were showing that if we had that same disagreement talking over the phone or on Facebook, it's almost guaranteed to escalate more rapidly, expand more broadly. And ultimately we would say things in that conversation that we would never say to each other Hmm. in part because it's a one way street. So like if I say, Jack, you're a real turd right now, like I can watch your face. Yeah. Like I could see your emotional reaction to that and go, Wow, that was really rude. It hurt Jack's feelings, right? To be, fair, I could, I, to be fair, I'd probably giggle a little bit because you said turd. turd. <laughs> you said duty. <laughs> duty. But so I could actually physically observe your emotional response and then interpret from that whether that made you feel happy or sad. And like I could emotionally relate to that, right? Uh-huh. When you're having that, if I called you a turd on Facebook, I now can no longer see how you reacted to that, even though I know full well it was hurtful. But you're not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. So I don't feel the pain that I've caused you. Yep. Because if I see you in pain, I mean, human experience, like we know that we feel other people's pain to an extent. Yeah. Right. People, there's a range there. But so if I see your pain, I feel it to some extent. Well, I can't see it anymore. I don't feel it anymore. And so it it emboldens me because Mm. I don't have that feedback to get more and more aggressive, more ludicrous, more pain causing yeah in those conversations and so i mean i've actually experienced this in relationships where i've found myself um in phone conversations just saying like things that were way more hurtful than i ever would have said in person Hmm. because and i didn't i didn't know what at the time i was reading about this like reading about the book a couple weeks later and i was just like wow this totally makes sense now so all of that long kind of couple examples pulled together just to say that almost by its very nature, digital communication or phone communication, remote communication in any factor um, creates this environment where people tend to be less empathetic and more likely to just say stuff that, they know full well it's hurtful. They just don't care because mm. they can't see the person behind. They can't feel the emotion behind it in response. Dang. That makes sense. So it was, I don't know, it was fascinating and eye-opening to me. And it really made me cognizant and aware to where now as I'm, whether I'm on Facebook or talking to someone on the phone, I really try to think intentionally about that and like, Am I writing something that I wouldn't say in person or am I saying something that is going to be hurtful and I'm just avoiding the consequence because I'm not in the room with them? You know, if you combine that with what we were saying earlier, how uh, if you get this whole jealousy mentality and, oh, I got to bring this guy down because uh, that'll make me, well, if he, if I let him go up and do this great thing, then I'm going to be seen as a lesser 
worse human being. You couple that with what you're talking about. That's a real mess waiting to happen. Right. Which, I mean, I, I feel like that in and of itself, so the, the care for things that are most similar to us and the mm, lack of empathy when we can't actually see someone face-to-face, yep. I think those two things combined explain a lot of the phenomena that we're seeing in our society today. I mean, Mm -hmm. the polarization of the political parties, the nastiness generally of any conversation online. um, Even just seeing the way that different groups are trying to treat each other in the laws that are being proposed. And in, I I mean, it's, I want to get into all that, but I think at a macro level, you can see that at work and um, yeah, has a lot of far reaching impacts. It does. It does. So to get back to the original question, are people good? Are people generally good? What is it a rhetorical mean? question? No. No. I'm asking you. I mean, no. My you asked is, us. My answer is no, they're not. And I mean, fundamentally, that comes from my belief in Scripture and what Scripture teaches that man is inherently sinful and yeah. not good, yeah. right? And I think that bears out as you look across the world. Now, having said that, there are a lot of instances where um, people do nice things for other people and, yeah. and try to live decent lives. Um, but I think that's more the exception than the rule. Mm-hmm. And all of those instances are examples of grace, God's common grace toward men, that, mm. that we aren't as terrible as we could be. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Because, I mean, the I think a lot of people will, you know, if we if they ask us, Ben, Jack, do you think people are generally good? And I agree with you for those same reasons, that they're not. People aren't inherently bad. We're inherently sinful. We're inherently evil. And people will say, well, what about, you know, when people do good things? What about, you know, I, I helped somebody uh, with a flat tire last week. And he said, well, it's not that we're, say that we're fundamentally bad, that we're fundamentally sinful. It's not saying that we're completely incapable of doing nice things or having good thoughts or wanting to do the right thing. But it's sort of like at the end of the day, we are tainted and sure. we're spoiled. Not it, spoiled as in like we're given everything we want. I mean, we're spoiled like we we are impure and we have this natural tendency that will always be within us to be selfish, to bash people, to and, want to, to have pride and to be the greatest. I think when people say, oh, well, I'm a good person or so-and-so is a good person or people are generally good, their standard is so low. Yeah. It's like, you're not a criminal. Yay. Okay. Yeah. Like, congratulations. You haven't gotten arrested. Yeah. Right. Like, because there are plenty of people who break the law that don't get arrested. Right. That's true. Like, and another side point, the law is not morality. Right. Oh, like, absolutely. They overlap in a lot of places, they, but there are also a lot of places where they absolutely do not. I think overlap. that's a really good example of how people are inherently bad. We legalize and like legally. Um, if people I'll, were inherently good, we wouldn't need the law, right? I think that in and of itself is a is a evidence yep. of the fact that people are not inherently good. That's both in scripture and in practice, like in like right. Like in the, sec- secular, in the secular world, yes. because I mean, that's a good point. Cause one, it says that multiple times in scripture that we only needed the law because we're, we are inherently tainted at our core. And the only reason why it's there is because we were, we were breaking it to begin with. So, and 
Two, for the secular reason, the whole reason why we have to say thou shalt, like, you can't, like, murders against the law is because that is only written down because it was a problem, and it still is. The reason why it has to be there is because they have to bother telling people murders against the law. Right. And there has to be some penalty for it, or you would just, I mean, presumably, the people that weren't locked up for murder would continue murdering. I mean... A lot of them are crimes of passion, quote unquote, but it makes me question how often that person gets passionate. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't want to be around somebody who's that passionate yeah. very often. But the point I was going to make, though, about the low standards is you say that person's a good person or whatever. Okay, they're not a criminal. That's usually about all that it implies. Or they don't do anything when, that may be legal but bad. Right. So they're they're nice. But if you really want to talk about a standard of what is a good person, when I look at my daily life or anybody that I interact with, it's almost accidental when I do something kind or nice or good. I'm not, I mean, generally speaking, right? Like there's always times where I'm thoughtful and I'm like thinking, hey, this person really needs to be cheered up or what could I do to encourage them or how, you know, yeah. how could I be helpful in this situation? I'm not saying that doesn't happen, yeah. but if you break down a day into 24 hours, that's like maybe two hours of a day and I spend six to eight hours sleeping, all the rest of that time is just me going, how do I make sure that today works for me? Right. Right? Yeah. Like I'm just opening the door for myself. I'm not holding it for the next person or, you know, I cut somebody off in line or I'm thinking, wow, this guy's a real turd no, as no, I'm no. just kind of smiling and nodding at him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. All those things are not good person traits, but we just, we, we ignore that. Right. Yeah. Be and I think this coming back to the, we don't want to feel bad about ourselves. Yeah. And so I think we say people are generally good or so-and-so is a good person and keep such a low standard of just basically so criminality so that we fall in the good people bucket. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, well, well, I'm a good person, so I, I don't have to correct my behavior. Yeah. I don't need to improve myself. I don't need any kind of external behavior modification or savior. Like, mm -hmm. I'm just I'm I'm good. And it applies to any, like, there's a lot of application of, like, if you want to limit behavior with law or something, you know, like, you know, how much, I, I'm trying to, I, I can't think of the example off the top of my head, and it may have been Donovan, our pastor for those uh, uh, who aren't uh, familiar. Um who made this point, but it was something like, you know, what is the right amount of alcohol to drink? It's like just a little bit more than you do or something like that. Like whenever you're a little bit less or no, the right amount. No, yeah. it's like, or, or excuse me, the, um, like, when is it, when do people drink? When is it you, you drink too much alcohol in a week or something? It's like a, that threshold is like, you just always put a little bit more than what yeah. you do yeah. or anything. Like how much, how much junk food is it like healthy to eat? It's like always just a little bit more than what you do or how much like TV time is okay per night. It's just a little bit more than what you do. So then you are, cause I only, I mean, Oh, oh speaking, I see. Like, if you I only watch your, four, yeah, I only watch yeah, three yeah. hours of TV a night, but those people watch four or five, man, they're real lazy. And you know, like right. and then somebody's, I only watch one hour of TV a night. But so those, you're, you're like having this discussion with yourself and or not subconsciously or somebody may ask you, sure. Like, like, you know, I don't know, Jack, how much do you think is like, you know, came out to, to drink without being considered an alcoholic or something? And I would say, well, how much do I drink? And then I would like think about it and say, Just okay, add some to that. Yeah. And then I would, yeah. my threshold would at least would be at least that probably a little so, bit more to give myself a little wiggle. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not like on the border of being an alcoholic. Exactly. Right? And yeah, like, yeah. 
Um, I don't have any concrete examples to come up with this. When it was brought up with me, I did agree with it. Where, it, And it, I agree with it for the reason what you're saying is they want people lower the standard so that they themselves are part of the good people. And this gets into the discussion of um, secular moralism that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Maybe this would be a good segue into it for next week. Uh, because I think that, like, you know, what makes... Why do we think that people aren't good, or why why do people think that are why do people think that people are generally good versus why do we think that they're not? I think that question cannot be answered very fully without us diving into this other topic. Yeah. So I think a lot of people a a lot of people may think that our answers that we're given now are unsatisfactory, or we're not really getting into the meat of it. And for me, I'm doing that intentionally because that is a whole nother. It's a meaty topic. That is a meaty topic that we could go and will go on another tangent about. So, so before we completely wrap up, the one thing I wanted to throw out there was you were talking about just a little bit more than me as the threshold. Yeah. And there's a really good example that I think actually was referred to in the books I mentioned earlier. And it, you can observe this on a daily basis. Any of you listening have had this experience if you're an adult with a driver's license. Yeah. Ah. When you are driving, yep. Take just start paying attention to how your attitude on the road and what you perceive of other drivers' behaviors. And this is a really simple example, and it stood out to me so clearly because I was like, ah, yeah, that's absolutely 100% correct. Anyone, if you're driving, wherever you're driving, highway, city street, whatever, anyone who's driving slower than you is an idiot. Yep. And anyone driving faster than you is a maniac. Yep. It's that simple. That, like, that right there, that fundamental test shows you how we, um, Adjust the the good person uh, threat, the standards yes. to make us fit in the good. Yeah, people so category. we always fit in the good person category, and um, it also the judging or like uh, the implication of wrongdoing on others' parts when we don't know their motivations. Right. Like right. We just assume negative intent no matter what. Yeah, somebody may be speeding because they need to get to the hospital. Or their kid is sick and they're rushing home. Or, you know, their wife called and said, hey, something's wrong. I need you to come home. Or, you know, something right. like that. Or, or I mean, we may have been the ones speeding 30 seconds ago, but we're not speeding now. Yeah. And then they go by. Well, what's that guy think? Where's he yep. got to get to? And, it, and too, like sometimes I catch myself doing something that I think is stupid. And I call myself out and say, yep, that was a mistake. Now I can feel better about myself because I corrected myself, you know, then you get that sense of, well, I, I was able to be smart and cognizant enough to correct my mistake. So now that gives me leeway to make fun of other people who don't do the same thing. Sure. So it's it yeah. just another, it, on the surface, uh, it is, uh, what's what I'm looking for? It starts with an F or an S? Superficially. Superficially, yeah. it seems like I'm being responsible, but really down below, yeah. it's because I'm using that as ammunition so that I can feel better about myself. And that the driving example or road rage or any of that frustration on the road yep. is another example of how um, distance from people yep. causes us to <clears throat> behave more aggressively and to be less empathetic. We can't identify with their emotions because we can't see their face. We can't hear their yep. voice. We just see a car. We just with, see them with like a token driver in it. Right. So it's a yep. very it's a very impersonal interaction. And so we, I mean, essentially what you're seeing in road rage. It's a Facebook conversation. It's a Facebook politics argument. Yes. Playing out on the road. It's yes. almost exactly what's happening. Same it's the same subconscious right. stuff going on. Yeah. Where anybody who, yeah, you're right, is a little bit uh, 
here's the threshold. Here's the band of acceptability. Anybody who's a little bit above that in political leanings or speed or whatever is a f- extremist in one way. And then anybody who's a, a little bit below my narrow band is an extremist in the other. And, and you, even with the vehicles, I mean, we judge vehicles too, right? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> like you see the big lifted truck and oh, that guy is some redneck bro dozer jerk bag. Who spends or, too much money on his car. Right. And cares too much about his image. And then in reverse, that guy's parked in his truck looking at you and your car and you're like, oh, there's some rice burner tree hugger or whatever. You know yeah. What I mean? Oh like, yeah. Mr. The, yeah. We just, we project these stereotypes onto people, assume them to be true and assume their worst intent. You know, Ben, I'm going to have to throw my voice in the ring. The fact that you have a bike rack on top of your Mazda hatchback isn't helping your case. <coughs> well, I don't have a Mazda with or a hatchback. What is it? Uh, it's a Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi. Lancer. Oh, I keep thinking it's a Mazda not a hatchback, but it is. It's all good. No, oh. anyway, because a hatchback implies that the glass, yeah, the rear glass lifts with the tailgate. Um, uh, but so I think this. What are, what are you saying? It doesn't help my case, though. But it's. I'm just making. I'm making fun of you to make myself feel better. But. What, what's how is that making fun of me? I don't take that as being made fun of. But I think that it's stupid. So it, does it look I'm, stupid? No. For love, I'm trying to just, make a point. Is it the juxtaposition of the rack, oh. the car, utility rack with the car? See, I shouldn't I even just make, ruin it to make myself feel better. I shouldn't uh-huh. make I shouldn't make you feel bad about it because you actually picked me up when my when my uh, bike tire <laughs> blew out and I couldn't even fix the tube and I needed to use that so you can bring me home. That was a couple years ago. Anyway, um, I think another example of what we're talking about, because there's the car speeding thing is also like, at least for me, uh, the time you get into work and then the time you leave Ooh, work. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. like anybody who gets here earlier than music. Wow. It's like, these guys are really burnt. Like, you know, if these guys are working too, it's just like, like a, they, they're working too hard. They're putting too much in. They're getting too up. They get up too early. And anybody who comes in later is like, wow, at least I'm not as lazy as that guy. Yeah. And then at the same time as I leave, it's just like, wow, you're leaving this early, buddy. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. don't think like, really, you think you've done enough, like a hard day's work. Hmm. And then, and then who stays when, late is a it's workaholic. Like, yeah. Anybody who stays late is work later than me is a workaholic. That's right. I'm sure there's other people listening in who uh, will have that same, that same, Oh yeah, I do think that, or you know, any, or the length of your lunch break, or if you take a lunch break, anything like that. And so I do think that this plays into you just try to adjust the standard to make yourself sure. look like the good guy, and that applies to the question: Are people good? It implies it applies to the whole you're bashing people who are trying to achieve greatness as well, because you don't want them to, because then all of a sudden sure. it's not a good bad person; it's a, it's a great person versus meh person threshold well and i mean talking about the normalization of morality to your own behavior you then your achievement of nothing has become the normal quote-unquote moral thing right yeah. and so either achieving less than nothing or achieving something significant yeah now becomes almost a righteous indignation like it's it's you're, an immoral thing you should have done that you're lazy that you're not trying right. harder versus oh you're just trying to get famous and you're being right. you're prideful you should be more modest and yeah. so i think um and i've actually like written a brief essay on this in the past but there's uh that element of different is dangerous slash different is bad mm-hmm portion of the human psyche is something that we all um to be more cognizant of it is very helpful because you can catch yourself judging people who are different to be incompetent or bad Mm -hmm. or it, it helps you become more of an observer and less of a judge yeah is all i would say so it, it, it makes you more sympathetic. You're able to relate to people better. And ultimately, you understand your own behavior better also. 
So I, for, to summarize my thoughts on this, it's going to be, we adjust, like, are people good? Uh, generally good. And I, the question is, or my point is, no, I don't think we are. And I think it's proof positive that, that we aren't good. Did I say that we were? No. Okay. So summarize the, hold on, let me start over. To summarize my answer to the question, are people generally good? I would say no. One, because that is supported in the scripture. And two, we see it day by day playing out where people will adjust that threshold of what makes people good to make themselves fit in that category. And that itself proves that they're not. I think if they're willing to adjust the standards so that they're good, that inherently shows so much selfishness and pride and sub you're willing to be to corrupt the standard just to make yourself look better that in itself proves that you aren't better yeah and to get into my answer any more than that we're going to have to touch on the topic of secular moralism which we're not going to get into now that's a fair point what about what about your summarized thoughts ben closing thoughts um yeah no i i would agree by and large with what you said and uh i think if you if you ask the question, do people think they're good, then the answer would be a resounding yes, because we've talked about the adjustment of morality to match your own behavior. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the to me, we and we'll get into this with the other conversation, but there there isn't a there can't be a standard internal to a human that defines good. Yeah. And so when we try to pretend that that's what it is, it just doesn't make any sense. And I don't think it matches with with true morality. Yeah. So anyway, we'll get on that topic later. Yeah. Oh, one more thing, the, the, the summary, at least for me, and I assume you too, Ben, the closing thoughts were meant to, we're applying that generally to the population. There sure. are people out there who would say, no, I'm a bad person. Sure. And people who would say who I actually, but people who would say, no, I'm a bad person. I think there's an inherent honesty in that, right? They've recognized. Yeah. The darkness in themselves. And, um, and I think that's true of people who can are able to confess or confront their own flaws and weaknesses and mm-hmm. demons, so to speak, is that they're inherently being honest that they are not truly a good person at the core. Yeah. So, again, there's going to be exceptions to everything that we've said, but we're more or less talking about on the general scope, sort of like the general human psyche as a whole. Not, not We're not saying that every single person thinks about this with no exception. It's just like a broader yeah. broader application. So. So as we wrap up, I would encourage you uh, listening again. If you like what you hear, um, then like our Facebook page. Um, Check out the other episodes of this podcast. And again, we're looking for dialogue. So comment, give us feedback. um, Let us know what you're thinking, what you've enjoyed, what you haven't enjoyed. Um, And we also did share a link where you can contribute. So um, we'll continue doing that in the future. You have the option to actually... um, record your voice that we could insert into the podcast, either talking about a topic that we've discussed, adding some thoughts, um, you know, asking a question, whatever it might be. So we look forward to hearing more from you and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Oh, and when Ben said contribute, he means contribute like audio files, not money. Yes. We're not pandering for money. Although if you wanted to, yeah, if you want to give us money, we'll take it. Sure. But but please don't contribute poop. I don't want to get bags of poop in the mail. That what if they're flaming and on your front porch? Nope, I don't want that either. All right. I was going to say, oh, maybe, but. Okay. Anyway. Well. Great. Now we're going to get some troll that actually finds out where we live. <laughs> Shh. Don't give him any ideas, Jack. It's on the internet. All right. And with that, we'll end this episode. Woo. Good day.